0: Leonard Cohen, suggested there is a crack in everything. That's how the light gets in. This viral crack gives us a chance to create something new and better. So let's talk about back to different and let the light in. Here today, again, online with Valerie Andrews, who lives Miles and miles away, but is 18 inches away. At this point in time, uh, we met on the internet. Uh, um, something she had written for Biz Catalyst, which I enjoyed and responded to, and one thing led to another, as it will. And so here we are. I am interested in the work you do, and I'm interested in having a conversation with you about it. And we talked just the other day, and uh, didn't want to stop. So, if you'll tell us kind of your story. How did you get here?
1: Well, uh, here is home. Home is the archetype that I'm fascinated with right now. And I got here because um, in the course of my lifetime, I've moved 32 times. Now, 32 uprootings is a lot and moved a lot when I was a kid, Uh, went to a couple of different colleges, um, lived in Europe off and on, lived over here, East Coast, West Coast, I'm used to putting things in boxes and putting them on trucks and hearing their little voices say, let me out, let me make it home. (laughs) (laughs) I've always been interested in this process, but I didn't know it was a theme that I was supposed to carry and bring to the world in a new way until just before the pandemic. And that's when all these different threads of my life story started to come together in this thing called reinventing home it was as much of a surprise to me as I think it was to anyone else that this was, this was the theme that was up. Because I've spent most of my life in journalism and publishing and editing and I've, I've, I'm a generalist, I've never met a theme I didn't like, I've never met a subject I couldn't warm up to. And so to land on this one or have this one land on me was a really big experience. And I'll kind of tell you how I got there. Um, about five years ago, I was writing about reinventing work for a publication called The Optimist. And I was writing about everybody doing remote work and the the ideal of, you know, hanging out with your surfboard in some island and being able to work remotely was was a glimmer in everybody's eye then. And, And people were saying, oh, this is, you know, this is kind of fantasy thinking. And I started talking to all these tech educators around the country and they were saying, we don't know how to prepare our kids for what's coming. It's a tsunami, we know it, we can't define it, we can feel it. Um, Most of these tech educators, by the way, had been piecing together all kinds of different uh, freelance work over the years anyway, in addition to working in schools, most, most teachers have to do other jobs, at least during the summer to make ends meet. So they were familiar with this whole idea of people becoming sort of freelance gypsies. And So I was talking to people about how our our relationship to work was gonna change. It was gonna come into the home. We were all gonna be doing some kind of contract work and blam, the pandemic hit. (laughs) And as you know, as we all know, because we've been squirreled away in our little shelter in place hideaways here, um, everybody who even had a corporate job was suddenly working from home. And so there was my life that started in 1974 as this wacky crazy freelancer when everybody said in the early 70s you've got to be with a company you've got to got to do corporate journalism you've got to you've got to work as a consultant but you can't just sort of go out on your own forever just do it for a little while and here now I was the canary in the coal mine for everybody because my house And I've had many different houses, as I've just told you, was always uh, launchpad central for everything. And I was married to guys who also worked from home. And so we had these little kind of cottage industries. I wasn't married to guys all at once. I had several. (laughs) (laughs) And. it was just a fascinating thing to me that we are in a way going back in time to recapture something that was really valuable at the beginning <laughs> of the industrial revolution, which was when everybody in England started rebelling with this thing called the cottage industry. We don't want to send our kids to the factories. We don't want to work ourselves to the bones in factories. We don't want to work you know, 14 hour days in factories, which is really what people had been working in corporations, before we had this shift at the pandemic, the uh, the data on overwork was astonishing. And now it's even worse. So the question is, how can we manage this um, new situation, get the best out of it? And how can we look at what home gives us on an inner level. How can we look at the inner life of home? How can we look at our intimacy and our relationships at home? How home is a sanctuary for us in uncertain times? How home is really that that inner castle and that place where no matter how many times you switch the four walls, you still know when you're there inside. So that's what got me into this whole thing of doing a crazy digital magazine in the midst of a pandemic and putting out about 40,000 words a quarter with all kinds of personal essays from people talking about how they related to home, how they moved, um, what their situation was with climate change, where they're gonna be able to hang on to their homes, were, were forest fires gonna drive them out the way they've been driving out a lot of people in California. So my thesis is that home is the buzzword of the decade, and it's on everybody's lips, And there's no way we can get around facing the fact that our definition of it is changing by the minute.
0: Wow. Well, Here I was all primed to ask you about living with your husbands. But um, since since you cleared that up, there is lots to unpack there, which is great. And when we spoke the other day, we talked about the picture was in the background, which was a bandolier and how whenever I've gone there, it's always felt like home. Yes. And there is, I think, a, a, a spark in all of us. I mean, you know, Thomas Wolfe, you you can't go home again.
1: And, well, right. Uh, well, with emmer it's the gentleman from Moscow. That's a wonderful book. and I read it while I was packed to evacuate and thought I was gonna lose everything in the forest fires two years ago. And I, you know, I got the news, I couldn't go, um, I couldn't go to the East Bay, because there were fires there. I couldn't see my friends in the north because there were fires in Mendocino. I couldn't go to my friends in Santa Cruz because there were fires there. So I just took all my stuff out of the car. And I got in bed with this book. And I came to this passage. And it's about this count who has been Held pretty much a political prisoner in the Metropole Hotel after the Russian Revolution. And he's there for years and years and years, and they keep sending him to smaller and smaller rooms. And he finally is free and he goes back to his estate. And of course, it's a shambles. And of course, he, he recognizes the road, but the house is all going into the earth and going back to whence it came. And he says, You know, They say you can't go home again, but you can as long as you expect every single aspect of it to be changed. And that's where we are as a culture. Every single aspect of our home is being changed. And we still need to hold on to it and still have a concept of sanctuary. So that's the conundrum.
0: And how? I've gone home to my home where I grew up more than once and gotten a whole mix of feelings from that because I don't live there anymore and somebody else does. How dare they? And they painted it a different color. Who the hell do they think they are? And all that kind of stuff. And there is, I think what you're what you're talking about about right now, you know, we we, we we've been talking about this work-life balance stuff for a long time. And maybe it's more like work-life continuity now that we're, that our our homes have been, we we have a a new addition to our home, which is work.
1: I think it goes a lot deeper than that. Um, At least that's what I'm trying to do in the magazine. I'm trying to look at um, what our interior sense of home is.
0: Uh
1: A lot of people... Uh, feel that their sense of home is their work and you know if you are that committed to it I say fine go for it but make sure that it really is in resonance with who you are and who you're supposed to be you know I've known a lot of creative people over, over the years and if an artist commits and you get a good leader leader commits they're in the same zone, they're in the zone of where they're supposed to be. But what we're feeling now are all these different pressures and I think we've forgotten where home is. We're feeling the, you know, the pressures of climate change, we're feeling the pressures of having to rearrange the way we work with other people through Zoom, having the kids in the background, having to deal with more shelter in place or more masking orders or a constant health threat. Um, it's a different era now. And we're in, I know, I know you are a maven of change and you're going to have lots to say about this and lots to say about chaos, but chaos is on the plate every morning. And so I'm not just talking about the four walls and going back to your childhood home, but, you know, we do get a certain hit of who we were trying to be at a certain age when we do that. I'm talking about this inner sense of home. And where are we in the midst of the chaos? And how can we create a deeper sense of sanctuary? Make sense?
0: Yeah, absolutely. What do you think? And I have some ideas, but I wanna put them on hold. How can we expand our, our heart and our spirit as well as our cognition so that it is sort of safely elastic enough so that this new morph of home is 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 welcoming and safe and not not something with which we cannot cope
1: Well, it's like any relationship. If you're going to start on a new relationship, right? You go back and you think about the old ones and what you did right and what you did wrong and where you were nourished and where you were fed, how you can kind of get more of that in the next relationship and and be more honest with yourself and be more present for the other person and be more present to who you are and what you need relationship with home. It's the same thing. Um, I've been doing an online Zoom course that has been fascinating, and it's called Tell Your Story of Home. And I have been leading people through all their memories of the different homes they've had, looking for a thread of continuity that goes through those memories, looking for experiences of loss and grief and experiences of revelation and and I'm here because I'm having to go and undergo a transformation. And this place is going to help me do that. You know, I'm sure you've lived. I've got to ask you this. Have you lived in a place that really was transformative for you and that, that you associate with a major life change?
0: Yes, several, actually, but yes.
1: And now you've reinvented yourself a lot of times. And so it's really interesting for me is when I talk to people like you and I find out how they've reinvented themselves in different places. And people who are trying to write memoir or just trying to examine their lives and, and what supposed to go next and what they're supposed to do next, find that by going back and looking at who they were in different places, that interior sense of home runs through all of experiences and that begins to emerge and so they start to know who they've been who they've been becoming and they get a better sense of what they're being called to do next so that sense of place has a message for us and each time we go back and we examine who we were in a different place we get a different piece of the message
0: I think that I get that intuitively um, and emotionally and you mentioned something which which stirred up an idea too is grief. Um, one of my favorite sayings is "There's no such thing as a free lunch." So, is it does it does it make sense to you, given your focus on this, which is which is has been much tighter than mine, but mine's getting tighter because I'm talking with you. How can we? Deal with what we lose in order to move into what we will become?
1: Well, it's an organic cycle, and loss is present in every moment. And I, I think the key to knowing who we are and what we can become is being all of ourselves first. Because if there's some portion of you that you're shitting, you don't want to look at, um, and it's blocked grief. You're, you're just not there with all of your emotions. Right. You don't really know whether you like where you are, whether you like what you're doing, whether you like the people you're with. You're not there for yourself. There's some big chunk of you that's missing. So um, I think the that the grief work is important because every day right now in this Period of of chaos. I think I think the um, Institute for the Future calls it the VUCA world. It's um, it's volatility, unpredictability, uh, chaos, and ambiguity. Right. I believe I pulled that, out of that. But anyway, so we're in the VUCA world every minute because of climate change and because of economic crisis. And and by the way, we're just going through another mass migration in this country where people are moving from one urban center to a next. So. Um, and it's all economically motivated. So, so, home is chaos. And if you're not grieving, you're not awake. And we have to be in touch, not just with what we've gained and lost over the years as we've moved from one place to the next, but of the fact that the modus operandi today is that we are standing on such shaky ground with so many changes in our institutions and in our culture and in our weather and in our sustainability, that if we aren't uncomfortable terms with grief and uncertainty, it's hard to know where home is because you can only find a home in the eye of the storm. And to get that calm calm place and that sense of interior home and that sense of sanctuary, um, you need to be able to say, My heart is breaking because California is consumed by wildfires. My heart is breaking because uh, we are in a drought and the the deer don't have enough water and the animals are coming down from the mountain and we see them in our gardens and and how do we care for these creatures and how do we care for ourselves? So we're in a continual process of being asked to grieve for what we're losing in the environment for what we're losing in our sense of community as we uproot and reroute um and as we honor ourselves to these people who are all of a sudden at home instead of having all these colleagues hanging around with the water fountain so a lot of people are grieving the loss of community a lot of people are grieving the peace and quiet they used to have before the kids and the spouse were home and and everybody was in everybody else's hair. I mean, there's, there's, there's a lot we have to put out on the table and say, you know, what's making me miserable? And where do I find peace? And how can I work my way through that? I mean, I'm interested in your experience of home, because I think you're very good at creating sanctuary. Um, when we talked about the special place that, that you have bought um, and its historic meaning to you and how you became part of this small community, the small historic community. And so I'd, I'd like you to talk a little bit about your sense of sanctuary and how you created that and got there.
0: I don't have a... Um... I don't have a short answer for that. I'm not being facetious about it. I grew up in a very independent family. Um, I moved away from home. I went back for my 40th high school reunion and almost everybody who came back had never left. Really? <laughs> they're still yeah, they're still living in Doylestown, Pennsylvania. A lot of them are living in the same house and that that just never Occurred to me, and like you, I've I've moved a lot, and I've never, I've never felt, and I don't think it's because um, I pretended, but I've always felt like the, the, the uh, how to how to put this um, that 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 what I lost when I left one place was real. And I felt grief. And I think grief is a real important thread here. And that grief did not stand in the way of um, being being sort of snail-like in taking my home with me (laughs) as a metaphor. So we're getting ready to move now. And I've been living with my wife in her condo which we knew was not going to be our permanent home but it has been no less home like for me because there's no, there's no there's no envelope of home for me that doesn't go with me when i go somewhere else it isn't mm-hmm. you know it isn't this desk or this cup or this room, or this window, or these trees. For me, it's it's like it's like consciousness.
1: That's beautiful. I I sense that you have a deep internal sense of home.
0: I, I think I do, and I'm as surprised as a you are because I didn't know that's what it was. I just know that that's what it is.
1: Well, you know, you're bringing up something really interesting about all of your high school classmates who stayed in one place. Um, Arlie Hochschild has done a wonderful book. i trying to remember the name of it. It'll come to me in the course of the conversation. But it's about um, people in Louisiana we interviewed who were really being buffeted by the environment and the oil companies were coming in and, and they were the fish, the places where they used to fish and could no longer fish because yeah. they did. Um, but she want, what she wanted to do was she wanted to talk to people who voted for Trump and find out what they felt and what they were thinking and who they were. And so this liberal Berkeleyite with a great big open heart goes to Louisiana and she says, I, w- I want to meet these people. I want to talk to these, people. I want to listen. And she did what every good sociologist does. She asks questions and how are you living? And, 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 and where's your grief and where's your happiness? And what do you like about this place? And why are you still here? And they tell her all these incredible stories about losses, about watching the places where they 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 grew up get uh, you know turn into sinkholes and, and bridges become unsafe because the you know there's the pilings are eroding because there's too much drilling and all of this. And they're talking about their family members who got cancer because they work for this company or that company. And at the end they said, but we're not gonna move. And she says, why? And they say, because this is where we're from. And she comes away with this unbelievable amount of respect for these people, that they are going to endure everything no matter what, because this place is beloved to them. And so it seems that our country has been divided into, folks who stay in one place, and maybe the town survives and prospers. Maybe it's like areas of West Virginia that lost the coal mining and then became, um, you know, centers for all kinds of drug-related industries. Right. And and then are struggling again to get off the opioids and the drugs and reinvent themselves in some other way or it's a rust belt town that that sort of went belly up and never quite managed to turn around it's just all these stories of people who are natural nesters and stay versus all those other people who tend to be liberal who get up and leave and say, I'm just going to broaden my horizons and go to the next thing in the next town in the next city. And so we've got this huge political divide in in certain cases of people who are barely making it, who are voting for administrations that refuse to put in any kind of restrictions on, you know, sustainability, environmental uh, protections and they're suffering for that, but they don't care because their allegiance to the place is is so important. So are we two nations now because of our different experiences because of those who stay and those who leave? Are we divided into neighbors and vagabonds? You know, Marilyn Robinson brings this up in her wonderful novel um, called Housekeeping, which was the the first novel she really, Um, I think she got the Pulitzer for it. It was just a stunning, stunning, um, stunning novel. Um, And uh, not the Pulitzer, it's not a fiction prize. But there she's talking about a woman who lets a house revert to nature because most of her life she spent riding the rails. You know, we're, we're talking about people in the, you know, in the 30s and the 40s who, who, became a different kind of vagabond. There aren't that many people who ride the rails today.
0: Nope.
1: And uh, although I do know one. And then she's talking about the other people in the town who are so threatened by her because they are the, we're gonna hang on here no matter what. They are the people who, you know, the women who, who press and put up the curtains and who change the linens once a week and who bake the pies and they do everything they can to homestead. And this woman who lets the rain come into the living room as if it were an outdoor space is just completely foreign to them. So who are we? Do we carry our sense of home on our back, like Sylvie, the the vagabond who rides the rails? Do we Uh we dig in and make the pie no matter what, you know? And and how are we gonna apply this sensibility to... um, climate change to economic shifts, where you suddenly find you can't make a living in this place and are you gonna pull over someplace new?
0: Maybe, you know, because our, our story, the human story is a hunter and gatherer story for most of, most of that story, right? And um, whether you go to the Bible or archaeology or any of the paleontologies or any of the ologies. And that um, simultaneously simultaneous need for a cave and a new horizon, because until we developed agriculture, we had to move. Because once all the game was gone and once all the nuts had been found and all the roots had been dug, we didn't know that you could plan them and make them grow again. So apparently we, so those two competing needs, which I think are very deep and visceral in a whole, whole lot of ways, what you're doing, which now I understand much better than I did because we're getting down to bedrock in this conversation, which is great. That's a conversation which we need to have and acknowledge that there is discomfort and even pain involved, and that this <sighs> that has happened—that's one of the things which I think you're spot on. That it signals is that we need to we need to understand this thing, and I hope not just understand it in terms of either or. You know, you either ride the rails. Or you like own your own home, and you and you iron the curtains, and you, and you make the food and stuff. I'm not trying to be funny about it, but um, we're going to have to start to explore op- Like like all the people right now who are buying mobile homes, mm-hmm. you can't buy, you can't find a mobile home right now. Yeah. You can't find them. So a large portion of our of our population are like riding around in their mobile homes and what's what's that going to do to our consciousness about what where and why home is
1: i hired a designer to do our podcast logo and um, it turned out that she was living in an almost gypsy caravan that she had created for herself Um, This was before the pandemic and she was on the road with it. And um, it was, it was quite attractive what she'd done with it. And when she had a job to do, she would just pull over to the side of the road and she had this little pull out uh, drafting table, Yeah, do her, her freelance work, um, work for a few hours, fold up the table, fold up the van and go on to the next place. So she was, she was kind of doing the gypsy caravan thing. And i know a lot of people in california have have the the price of mobile homes is pretty much doubled out here yep you see whole areas now sprouting up of people in um in different rvs that that have taken to the road and they've just decided that well like that wonderful movie with francis mcdormand you know it's yeah. we're nomads in a way now yeah Yes, it's deep in us. It's deep in us. Even, even when we were hunter-gatherers, um, you could run for 25, 30 miles before you got or the deer that you were that you were hunting, and then you, you would everybody would sit down and eat there, and then they'd log because they basically had uh, gorged. I mean, they'd have to wait until they were out of the gorge to get up and run again and go look for the, for the next side of beef that they were going to have that was going to feed them for the next 30 days. So we have this pattern. Um, And then with agriculture, you're right. With agriculture, we became sedentary. We became tied to the land. So so we're living through all of these deep psychic um, influences. Yeah. But if if one thing I wanted to get to that was also sort of hidden in in what you were alluding to um, is when we go back to our earliest stories told by the campfire, and the campfire was always a movable feast. Mm-hmm. Um, what were they about when you go back to Odyssey? They were about the hero who left home, had an adventure, and then came back. Yeah. Now, you might not go back to the same town in Western Pennsylvania but there is gonna be a sense of homecoming after you've gone out and away and you've stretched yourself on one portion of your journey. And we see the same thing in The Wizard of Oz, only there we have it from a, from a female perspective. We have the young girl, we have Dorothy who goes off. She's, she, you know, this was really, this was really uh, vintage 1930s post-depression, Frank Baum, because what he's writing about is, um, here's a kid whose parents have died. She's being raised by an aunt and uncle. And it, a lot of kids were displaced from their families during the depression. They had to either leave home early, you know, like my dad did, um, or, you know, they were taken in by relatives if, if maybe this home had a bit of scarcity and they couldn't manage, and the person who could take care of the kid did. And so that whole generation got shifted around so much. And when that happens, you wonder, where is my home? Are these really my parents? I mean, every kid asks that anyway. Was I put here, you know, from Mars in this family? Do I really <laughs> belong with this mother and father with these brats that are called my brothers and sisters? Am I really part of this family? You know, these really deep questions that kids ask about where is home? Do they really love me? You know, so Dorothy goes on this whole adventure. and. It's about realizing that she's, you know, she was home all along and she just didn't know it. And the message is like it is in all spiritual traditions, wake up, wake up. As she does at the end, she comes out of the dream. If you wake up, you are home. So how can we wake up to the fact that we are already home and honor that in a new way is part of the question too.
0: And I wonder, you no, know, I think it's probable that more people maybe than I might expect are asking that question, even if they're not framing it that concretely.
1: I think so. I think it's it's an instinctive question that's that's been with us since the beginning of time as a as a kind of acorn or seed. Now everything that's happening in the outside world is activating all these archaic complexes and and, um, patterns. And we're having to find our way again. Um, C.G. Jung, the uh, psychiatrist at Zurich, wrote about this a lot in the 30s. He was really afraid that modern life was gonna get too fast for us, and we were gonna lose our grounding in a place, and that we would be so caught up by speed And by this sense of externalization, which we see we've had with the internet and the digital age, that we would forget about the rhythms of daily life. And so it's interesting that he had two houses. He had one house in Kusnacht where he was the famous doctor and he was married to a very wealthy woman who kept a very fine house and he entertained people. And this was this house of the persona and the house of accomplishment. And then he had this very rustic house that he built by hand on the lake at Bollingen. About in that day and age, it was a couple of hours outside of Zurich on a lake. And he built things with local stone um, using instruments that had exist from the Middle Ages. This was his place out of time. And I think you know in a funny way this is what people try and accomplish with a vacation home you know <laughs> or yeah. who live in the city they need the country getaway and very often it's just this rustic little place with uh, with a small bed and it's not very pretentious at all um, but that sense that that we need two houses for the two aspects of ourselves for the for the part that's in the world and that's producing and the part that is questing and looking at at things from a different time perspective. He talked about Bollingen and the tower he built there as the place where he looked out onto eternity. So the one house was the here and now and all my daily responsibilities and the other house was the house of age and eternity.
0: And finding a way to merge them in one is challenging. At the least, I'm not trying to undersell this, but our homes, for many of us right now, are school, work, sanctuary, big expense. I mean, all those things have shrunk to a much smaller place than they used to be.
1: On the other hand, how much space do we really need? That's that's what everybody's asking themselves. Um, And that's what the pandemic has brought forth is how much space do you really need? A lot of people have been doing way too much in very tiny spaces. And a lot of people have been rattling around and- and 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 in a way, if you look at the space people have, you also see the inequities in society. So it can be a gauge, this whole real estate thing can be a gauge as to how well we really care for all members of society. You know, the homeless rate in, in, in the Bay Area is going off and the, the homelessness in, in the country is expected to increase markedly in, in the next few months. Yeah. Um, so what kind of a society are we if we don't provide Homes for people is home is home an inalienable life. Is it a basic right that everyone should have safety, sanctuary, and security? There's there's a bit more of that in Europe than we have here. And the interesting thing is in Switzerland where young was you could get an 80-year mortgage. Yep. You know, that was common. And it was common to pass on mortgages to the next generation. And it was uncommon to move a lot for your job. 25 years ago in Europe. I think that's changing now. But, uh, you know, it's it's like we're standing on a shelf, like a continental shelf, and we're looking at this vast ocean. And in that ocean are all of these, um, all these elements of the self that we're needing to incorporate in one place. It's like you're saying, how do we bring it all together? How do we bring that view of eternity in the tower together with the um, with a bustling house where everybody's there all the time doing everything? We don't know what it's going to be like when, when the kids go back to school. We don't know if they're going to get sent home again. Um, a lot of people have decided to homeschool uh, and are just sort of getting into it for the long haul and saying, "Well, you know, this was kind of interesting. I felt closer to my kids. I enjoyed it more. I can afford it. Let me do it." Other people are, you know, just really struggling. My uh, my uh, designer, one night, I spoke to her and she said, "Well, you know, I'm sorry, I can't get this until about get to this job until about two in the morning because." My husband's using the main computer, my kid's using my computer, and then after they finish the schoolwork and they get fed, I get to start my work day, which begins at nine o'clock and goes to three in the morning. So right now, anything goes, and people need a forum and a place to talk about this. And I'm just starting a new section of Reinventing Home, which by the way, I got to put in a plug because we're not a for-profit, we're a nonprofit. So I can say reinventinghome.org is the place where people can go and find us. We don't have money from people unless they want to give us a nice donation, then we're very happy, but we're not selling anything. What we're trying to do is a public service um, to create a space where you can have a dialogue about what home is for you and what it's becoming and how your sense of home is changing.
0: I want to ask you a couple of questions to, 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 to bring this, to, to tie it up, as it were. One of the things I've learned in my recovery and in my life Is that when I have a you know one of these moments that I'm either holding on to something that I need to let go of or I haven't allowed something in that needs to come in. You know, I'm not I'm I'm either, you know, I'm I am not answering the door, which means I'm not letting something out, but I'm also not letting something in. So I would like to ask you in this Home thing that we're talking about, you know, which is physical, but it's also spiritual, it's emotional, it's co- I mean, this it's just it's tactile. It's very tactile. Um, if you had to choose, like what's what's one thing we can we can start to let go of a little bit to make room to at least survive, but to prosper in this strange new world, in this brave new world, and what's one one thing we can kind of let come in to our definition of home, our picture of home, our expectation of home, that, that might help us not just march in place.
1: I think that's a brilliant question, and I think we should ask your listeners to answer that for themselves, because What I found in my my classes on Tell Your Story of Home is that the answer to that question for each person is gonna be different. Um, It's the essential question and it's, it's a brilliant question to ask. And I am thrilled that you are so zeroed in on this topic that you can frame it so beautifully. Because that's exactly what I try to get people to do in the class is, you know, what what do you need to let into your concept of home? What do you need to let go of Um, on a really basic level? um, People have been asking that question by doing the Marie Kondo thing and trying to get rid of all their stuff. But but that that's a symptom. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That's like, that's like the very, very surface of what we're talking about. And I remember when I started telling people I was, I was starting this organization and this publication called Reinventing Home. I said, well, you know, you're, you're talking about modern things. You're talking about getting rid of things. You're talking about design and decor. And I said, no, 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 no. I'm talking about the internal process of what do you want to let in to where you're living and what do you want to let go of where you're living. So you have, as you always do in your podcast, you have gone right down to the nub of it.
0: (laughs) And I have one more closing question. Thank you so much. I don't want this to end. This This is too much fun. But years down the line, people who know you, but who are younger than you or me, so they're going to be around theoretically longer than we are, they're talking about, year 2020 2021 this tsunami year whatever you want to call it and what would you like them to say that Valerie Andrews did how did she handle it what would be the one the most wonderful thing you could hear them say about how you dealt with this thing
1: oh I think what I would hope uh is that People would say she created an online sanctuary where we could go and bring our thoughts and feelings about home and discover what other people were, were processing when it came to this enormous topic, that she, um, that she created uh, a living room where we could all have a conversation about this.
0: I'm so glad for, for this whole conversation, but I'm so glad you got your video to work because when you just said that, your face changed dramatically. It was it was lovely to watch. You you kind of turned up the wattage <laughs> a little bit, which is such a gift. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.
1: Well, thank you for the time to shed light on this important topic. I really appreciate your interest in it.
0: I very much so. In fact, I will I will start popping into your website as frequently as I can. I wanna find out more about it. And um, it I think it's a really this is this is critical, and it's also human. You know, it isn't about politics; it's about being being a human.
1: Well, you know, Wendell Berry said you know, whenever there is um, a lot of hysteria or a, a lot of um, uproar in the in the public sphere, and people are being set against each other, that the one thing you need to remember is that we all keep the home. And you need to go back to whatever place that is that's sacred to you, draw your strength from there and then go out to relate to others. Because if you think about it, we all are householders. That's the one thing that binds us all together. We all are tenders of the hearth. We tell our stories around the hearth. We find out who we are around the hearth. We care for our beloveds there and we grow and we become who we are in that space. So much, much better to start from there. And and remember that, you know, to be a good neighbor is to simply take good care of who you are and lend the tools.
0: Yeah, it is. Without being a Pollyanna, it is simple. It's not easy. But it is simple.
1: That's what I think we got from the pandemic. I think that's, that's what makes us pandemic philosophers.
0: Yeah. Have a fabulous day. I will let you know when this episode's up and running, and you haven't seen the last of me, young lady.
1: I hope maybe you'll write a little article for us sometime.
0: I'm already thinking of a couple yeah <laughs> <laughs> all right. What a pleasure. Take good care of yourself, right?
1: Thanks so much.
0: okay. Adios. Bye. Thanks for giving us a listen. As we move forward with this situation, with this thing that's us, let's never forget that we are all in this together. No matter what else happens, we're all in this together. Thank you.